Coming up on this episode of The Wheelhouse, a conversation with Robin Jackson, the author of Stop Leading, Start Building, turn your school into a success story with the people and resources you already have. Stay tuned. I'm Dr. Grant Chandler, CEO of Students Matter, and this is The Wheelhouse. In this season of our podcast, we'll mix interviews and conversations with in-depth thinking around our three foundational components of our framework, accomplishment-driven leadership, superior instruction, and powerful student care. You know, we believe it's our priority as educators to prove to each student how incredibly distinctive and irreplaceable his or her life is. Together, let's continue to step up to this incredibly important challenge and add additional tools and skills right into our wheelhouse. Today, my guest is Dr. Robin Jackson. She is the CEO of MindSteps, Inc. She's helped thousands of K-12 administrators and teachers develop the clarity and confidence to turn their classrooms and schools into success stories, most recently through her Builders Lab workshops and her online training program, Buildership University. Dr. Jackson is the author of 10 books, including the award-winning Never Underestimate Your Teachers and the international bestseller Never Work Harder Than Your Students. She also hosts the popular podcast School Leadership Reimagined, which offers free training on how to use feedback, support, accountability, and culture to big a to build a bigger vision, develop a better process, and achieve a brighter future for our schools. Dr. Jackson is also the author of the latest book, Stop Leading, Start Building, Turn Your School into a Success Story with the People and Resources You Already Have. That book is a 2021 publication available through ASCD. I am, of course, delighted, as I in, talked about in the introduction, to welcome Robin Jackson to the wheelhouse. So, Robin, welcome. Thank you for stopping by the wheelhouse. Thanks for inviting me. I'm delighted. I know that uh, Robin, of course, as I mentioned in her biography, is the author of Stop Leading, Start Building, Turn Your School into a Success Story with the People and Resources You Already Have. That is a 2021 publication from ASCD, which came in the mail one day, and I read it, and I fell in love with what you were doing. And I saw so many connections between um, the work that I'm trying to do with Students Matter and Through the Wheelhouse and the great work that you are doing. So thank you for stopping by. Um, and we're just going to have a quick little conversation about some of the great ideas that were in your book. Okay. So why is traditional leadership just not enough? So leadership, the whole concept of, of, of what we now call leadership in schools was created by the institution to preserve the institution. So we create leadership and we build even more layers of management. You know, we built, we put principles in place and then, you know, then we need somebody to supervise the principles and we need somebody to supervise the people who are supervising the principles. And you build this whole bureaucracy and these practices that are designed to preserve the institution first. And that's great if the institution is healthy and thriving, 
but it's not so great if the institution has some toxicity or if the institution is, is starting to be irrelevant. And if you really want to kind of turn your school around, you can't use the same tools that built some of the, the things you're trying to overturn to overturn them. You need a new set of tools. And so leadership is great if you want to maintain, but it's not great if you want to transform. So how does this concept of building or buildership change the game? So uh, in 2009, I read an article in Harvard Business Review by an economist named Ymir Haig. And he talked about this idea that for this new economy, that we needed something different. And it's the first time I heard the word builder or, or, or was even introduced to the concept of builder. And he said in that article, he said, bosses say go and leaders say, let's go. You've, we've heard that before, right? And we're all inspired. We don't just sit back and order other people. We say, let's go. But here's the problem with that. When you say let's go, you're positioned in the same place or slightly ahead of the people you are trying to move, which means that your vision is their vision. You are restricted for, because you're standing at the same vantage point. Mm -hmm. So when you say let's go, you spend all of your time trying to, to push or pull people ahead to a destination you've never been to. But when you're a builder, you don't say go. You don't say let's go. Instead, builders say come. And instead of dragging or pushing people towards a destination that's still kind of amorphous, it's still an idea, the builder goes ahead. The builder starts building and they invite people to join them in building something that they've already gotten started. And that's a whole different ball game in terms of how you move an organization forward, because mm -hmm. instead of spending all your time, to, time trying to convince people to move before you can get started, the builders don't wait. Builders go out ahead. They have a vision and your vision will be tested by how convincing and inviting it is to other people. So there's a, there's a, it, it protects you from pursuing a bad vision. If you invite people to join you and they say no, then you go back and re-examine your vision and figure out if it's the right vision. But when you have the right vision and you say, come, and you've already started building it, it does a couple of things. First of all, it gets people excited and people move on their own, not because you persuaded them or pushed them, but because what you're doing is so compelling that they want to be a part of it. And so when they join you in building it, they have ownership of it now. They take ownership of it and it becomes bigger than, than any one person. And people don't tear down what they helped build. So when you invite them to join you in helping build, you have assurance that they're going to be invested in it because they are a part of building it. The second thing it does is it shuts up the naysayers. The people who say that it can't be done. You know, when you're a leader, you can't get moving until you convince people that it can be done. When you're a builder, you go out and do it. And once you go out and do it, you don't have to convince anybody of anything because you're already doing it. And so people who sit back and say that can't be done soon feel stupid because more and more people are out there building the thing that they say can't be done right in front of them. So without arguing with people, without getting into debate, to debates with people, you're out there building and, and other people join you. And at first it's just a few people, but when other people start to see it materialize, they want to be a part of that and they join you. And so buildership is very invitational, which means it's not exhausting. Leadership is exhausting because you're always trying to convince people we need to do this. We need to do this. And then you make this baby step because you're dragging this behemoth behind you. As a builder, you step away from that. You cast a bigger vision. You start building and then you invite people to join you. And you don't have to drag anybody. They join you on their own. 
and you start building right away. You don't have to wait. So that's a that's a oh, that's an absolutely brilliant d- d- description of the differences between the two, and it's also a great segue into some comments that you make in the book, which I laughed out loud when I read. I have to tell you, I laughed out loud, and I was like, "Yes, I, I could have been your cheerleader at that point." I think it's on page ninety-five. Uh, <laughs> so I can tell you, uh, and that is when you talked about school improvement being a hamster wheel, right? You know, and I, I again, I, I laughed out loud. I was like, oh, my God, she's got to be my new best friend. <laughs> I got I to gotta meet this person. So could you just explain to people who are listening, what do you mean by school improvement as a hamster wheel? So let's take a typical school year, right? Somewhere in July, you get everybody <laughs> together and you write a school improvement plan. And you say, we need a plan. We look at data. This is what we're going to really work on this year. Everybody leaves that meeting excited. We've got this plan. In August, you come back to school and you you, you do the pancake breakfast and you tell people, this is the year we're going to increase rigor. This is the year where we're going to do such and such. And, and people get excited about that. You, you flood people with the PD. You, you start the work right away. Then school starts, students come. And October, you look up and you're like, oh, wait a minute. We haven't done much on that vision. We need to get started again. You get revved up again and you start working again. And then you start hitting pushback and things start to slow down and people start to give you all the reasons why that school improvement plan isn't going to work or they get initiative fatigue. All that PD you gave them in August is now wearing on them. All those new expectations are now wearing on them in the reality of what they're facing in the school. December, nothing gets done. Everybody's just, you know, marching towards break. January, you come back and you're like, oh, we need to, that thing, we have to get back. We have to get going. We only have a few months before testing. So you do another push. By February, everybody's tired again. And you start to look up and march and say, this thing isn't working. And then by April and May, you're saying, we need a new plan. We'll do it this summer. And then that summer you do it again. And it's hope springs eternal. And every year you write a school improvement plan. And every single year that plan ends up in a binder somewhere, or you start out with, you know, with a lot of energy and then it just falls flat throughout the year. And so over and over, you're never getting far. You're, you're still making plans. You're still trying to gain that, that same five or 10% improvement. And you never get anywhere. You know, you don't ever realize any victories. Would you say the same about the evaluation process? Would you say that that's also a hamster wheel, the way it's done <laughs> traditionally by leaders instead of builders? I don't know if I call it a hamster wheel. It's more like a gauntlet. Right? It's, just, it's not even a hamster wheel. It is, it is excruciating. And yeah. you, you know, you, you come up for your evaluation year. Somebody comes in your classroom. They give you this laundry list of things you need to do to match this instrument. Sometimes you see the instrument in two different ways. Uh, the administrators feel like it's a gauntlet because they have to get into classrooms and they have to have those conversations. And a lot of times those conversations are highly scripted. Then, you know, Every administrator in the spring is bogged down by having to write up these evaluations and nothing changes or very little changes in the classroom. So everybody is going through what I call the feedback dance where, you know, you show up, you you go into the classroom. If you're an administrator, you pick things to say, you script your feedback. The teacher also has a role to play. They're supposed to go in and somehow be reflective in a, in a, in a conversation where the balance of power is off because the administrator has all the power and you really have no power. And instead you have to just, and you have to show reflection because you can't even be genuinely reflective because you're trying to get 
some earnings on the reflection score of the uh, the 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 instrument. It's so everybody plays this dance, but no real improvement happens in the classroom. And so your argument then is that moving away from leadership and becoming a builder and being engaged in buildership is is how you get off the hamster wheel, right? That's how you it's how you get off the hamster wheel, and it's how you destroy the gauntlet. We have a, um, a conference we do a couple times a year to teach people how to do this. And in that first session, one of the things I show them is a the difference between a hamster wheel and a flywheel. And the buildership model functions as a flywheel. It, it helps you to get traction and then helps you gain momentum and to the point where you're just you're just things are feeling effortless and automatic because you have systems in place that actually focus on moving your school forward and not just improvement. Like I think improvement is, is there, there are arguments about incremental improvement and you get 1% better every single day. And then so many days you're, you know, 50% better. And I get all of that, but I think that most of us now are sick of tiny little incremental gains. Mm -hmm. We want to see big victories just because if for no other reason, our kids don't have time for us to make incremental gains. Right. So yeah, I went from 65, I mean, 55% of my kids proficient to 65% of my kids proficient. All that really means is that in a year or two years or three years or however long it took me to get there. Now I'm only failing 35% of the students versus 45% of students that I was failing now. That's nothing motivating about failing fewer students every single year. We want all of our students to be successful. So with that buildership flywheel, you start out with a vision for 100% of your students. You don't focus on these little incremental gains. Your vision is in the next three years, I want 100% of my students to be reading at or above grade level. I want 100% of my middle school eighth graders to have successfully completed Algebra 1. I want 100% of my high school students to graduate in four years with um, with six credits of college credit under their belts by the time they graduate, a minimum. You know, you're setting that bigger vision and that's what's pulling you forward. That's what keeps you from feeling like every year it's another 5%. Every year, you're getting closer and closer to that 100%. And that's the difference between a hamster wheel and a flywheel. Absolutely. You also talk about um, core values and the importance of reconnecting as a builder with our core values. So could you first, you know, what do you mean by core values? And why is that so important to buildership? So the first thing that you do as a builder, the first kind of we call it the pedal of the buildership model. The mm-hmm. first thing that you're going to do is you have to identify your vision, mission, and core values. So core values are a part of that. And the vision, mission, and core values work together to answer three fundamental questions that everybody has about your organization. The first question is, what are we building? The second question is, why is that so important? Why are we building that? <laughs> and then the third question is, what's my role? Your vision, mission, and core values if they're done right, should answer those three questions. So the first question, what are we building? Your vision tells people that. The second question, why is that so important? Your mission answers that question. Your mission and your vision can almost work like one sentence, vision because mission. And then the third question, which we never answer for people, it's what's my role? It's not teacher. It's not third grade science, third grade teacher. It's not a biology teacher. That's not your role. The role is, what role do I play in helping us achieve that vision and live out that mission every single day? 
So your core values really become the non-negotiables of your organization. And here's the thing that's really challenging for a lot of people. You as the builder, you do not own the core values. You own the vision. You don't own the core values. Mm -hmm. The core values are owned by everybody in the organization. So we take people through a core values exercise, and we actually have a free ebook on our on our website. If anyone wants to go through this with your school, you can download it. You can go to mindstepsync.com. And at the very top, it says something about overcoming toxic cultures. And if you download that ebook, it takes you step-by-step step through what I'm about to describe right now. But what those core values do is you take everybody through understanding what is fundamental, what is absolutely has to be non-negotiable in order for us to pursue that vision and live out that mission every single day. And core values aren't things like grit and perseverance, because I have no idea what those mean. And everybody in the organization will have a different Mm -hmm. definition of it. Your core values are way more specific because you're defining what is non-negotiable. So in our company, MindSteps, one of our first core values, and again, as the builder, I had to let go. I, wouldn't have been, I, I don't know that I would have picked this, even though I see why it's important. When we did this exercise with my team, the core value that came out as number one was drama-free work environment. Mm -hmm. And the reason that that has become such a, a, an integral part of our core values is because we're a small organization. And if we are going to be able to achieve our vision for every client and live out our mission and our work, we can't have drama. We don't have time for it. And that drama can come in the form of a process. So if we're working on a process or a software or anything like that, and it's creating a lot of drama, it goes. Mm -hmm. That drama can be a person. And, Unfortunately, a lot of times that's me. <laughs> like I, my, my, my team has often pulled me aside and said, now one of our core values is a drama-free work environment. And Robin, you're bringing a little drama in right now. So you need to, so they, it gives them permission to be able to check me because we're all responsible for that. And it's non-negotiable. The drama can also be a client. And mm -hmm. sometimes we've had to help clients either get back into alignment with our core values or bless them and release them into the world. Mm -hmm. And we're willing to lose money. That's what it means by non-negotiable. You are willing, I would say, if you're not willing to hire or fire somebody over it, if you're not willing to, to lose money over it or, or opportunities over it, then it's not a core value. So that's why they're so important because they shape your culture. They put parameters and guardrails around your culture, which can keep everybody focused on your vision and your mission, mm -hmm. and also helps everybody to be in alignment. It creates a baseline of trust. If nothing else, I know that if I don't even like you and you work with my organization, I still know that we can be bound by these, these, these three simple core values that are part of our organization, which helps me to trust you and work with you, even if we don't get along. Mm -hmm. So that absolutely makes sense when you describe core values the way you do, that it leads to, to my last question, which is when at the end of the book, you talk about the fact that being a builder or buildership is not an initiative, right? Uh, which again was you know, music to my ears when I was reading that, uh, but it's really a way of, of it's, a, it's an identity. It's a way of being who could you just for a moment, what do you mean by buildership as an identity and why do you think that's so important? So for years, I, I remember as an administrator getting training and so you'd get servant leadership and transformational leadership and courageous leadership. And 
every few years, there was a new tactic or strategy, and then they attach a new you know, adjective to the word leadership to try to distinguish that leadership from the way that we've been traditionally trained, which wasn't working. And buildership is different than that. It's not, this is not another thing. And a lot of times people call me and say, hey, I've got a day in February. Can you come in and talk to us about it? And I'll say no, because if you're not ready to embrace this as a, as a way forward, the tricks and strategies are going to not serve you. Mm -hmm. And so the idea around buildership is that when you start to think this way, you see your work differently. You know, during um, the pandemic and the height of the pandemic, uh, I had a lot of clients who were just starting on their buildership journey. And when they were standing in front of their staff and their staff was looking them for them for answers and they don't have any, my clients were able to say, I don't have any answers, but let's anchor in our vision, mission, and core values. And that will help us figure out the right answers. Mm -hmm. And so when everybody else is panicking, thinking like a builder gave them something in which they could anchor, help them to be calm, help them to navigate their school safely through the crisis and still thrive. You know, they're having different conversations about what next year is going to look like. They're not worried about learning loss. They are prioritizing standards and looking at building bridges and doing other things because they now think differently. And when you start to think like a builder, the things that used to stress you out, the things that used to, to keep you up at night, the things that, that felt intractable, you start to see your way through. And that's why you can't just grab a strategy. You know, we have a strategy called microslicing. People love it. But when they call and they just want microslicing, but they don't want the other piece, then it sounds like they're trying to, to, to bolt on that to a a Frankenstein of an approach that they've been building for years. You know, this idea of build your tool toolbox, grab these strategies and throw them in. And so your approach to, to leading your school is really, you know, held together by bubble gum and duct tape. And it's not <laughs> a, 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 a model. It's not a framework for going forward. When you embrace buildership as a framework, there is no challenge. You can't find an answer to not because there's a toolbox somewhere. You just, what tool do I pull out? But because you see things differently, you approach your work differently. And the work, it's not about tactics and strategies and, and incremental gains. The work is really about what do we need to do to, first of all, identify what our 100% vision should be. Secondly, getting everybody committed to that and equipping them with the will and skill they need to be able to, to realize that vision. And then third, doing the work in a disciplined way until we reach our vision. And that, when you think about it that way, when you approach your work that way, you don't get distracted by other stuff. You don't get, you know, thrown off your game by, you know, an angry parent or a teacher who is especially resistant. It helps you to stay the course because you're thinking differently. Thank you, Robin. I, for those of you who are listening and want more information, you can check out her website at Mindsteps Inc dot com, right? Where you can find out all sorts of other information, or you can reach out and talk to Robin uh, yourself in person. I just want to take a moment and say thank you so much, Robin, for stopping by the wheelhouse. And that wraps up another episode of the wheelhouse. If you have something you'd like to share or a teaching or leadership problem you'd like to see us address, drop us a line at onlineacademy at ourstudentsmatter.org and we'll add that to our lineup. 
Together, our goal is to continuously expand our own leadership and instructional expertise and to prove to each student that his or her life is of immense and irreplaceable value. This is hard work, but it is the noblest of all professions. Until next time, remember, we can do this.